we are a startup and we're a content house and we work across essentially like marketing, branding, media in that way. It means you're across finance. You need to understand what's happening in tech. You need to understand what's happening in the FMCG space and all aspects, climate, what are people doing in AI? What are the upcoming kind of companies that are emerging? And so it's a real understanding of the whole startup ecosystem in each industry. Welcome to the Viscosity Podcast, brought to you by VLM Training and Coaching Specialists across the UK and Australia, hosted by founder Vicky Main. Are you a business owner, leader or executive? Have you ever felt stuck or disappointed about where your life or business is heading? Do you ever feel overwhelmed, compare yourself to others or feel like you're swimming in treacle at times? This podcast is here to help you become unstuck from viscosity to achieving escape velocity and expanding your knowledge. Our guests on the show will share practical tips and real-life experience about how they got out of negative situations or circumstances to live their best life on their terms. We'll be sharing real-life stories from real people doing incredible things. Stay tuned for our next guest. Welcome to episode five of the Viscosity podcast. I'm your host, Vicky Main, and today we have Sade Omeje in the studio. Sade is the founder success at Dream Factory. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great for you to be here. I was so excited to sit down with you today and find out all about what you've been up to and your career history. I'm really excited. And we also have Leo back in the studio today and he's so well behaved. How well behaved is my dog? He's the most adorable dog. I just (laughs) want to take him back up to the office with me. So cute. I'm sure he won't be the last time he's here. But Shade, tell us about your career and your entrepreneurial journey and what you've been up to and what you're up to now so my journey can I say that I'm an entrepreneur I feel like I can't say that yet I think eventually that's the journey that I'd love to go on for now I feel like I'm definitely trying to grow in lots of different spaces so my journey in terms of career started when I was around 21 yep I'm originally from Manchester so there's Northern accents going to... Love this, two love Northern it. accents back and forth. <laughs> so I moved from Manchester to London at about 21 to work at HarperCollins in publishing. Fantastic. And in that space, I worked across the editorial and the publishing side of it. So it was lots and lots of readings, manuscripts, editorial notes, working with much more senior editors on the overview of a book, the structure of a book, the voice, the market. And then on the publishing side, it was a lot of... That kind of, if you're in quite a big corporate company, it's a lot of that networking, the meeting people, the setting up calls, conversations. So in that role, I was also a PA to the executive publisher across two different imprints. So it was a lot of juggling a lot of different personalities and juggling very different imprints. So the two that I was across there, one was Fourth Estate and one was William Collins. And they, I always saw them as like sisters of the same family, like two very different individuals, but with a similar strain. One, Fourth Estate is focused on literary fiction and non-fiction, whereas William Collins was very much narrative non-fiction, but then you also have your business books, which is interesting now as I come into this space where I'm at a startup, there's a lot of overlap with the different authors. I always love to ask when I meet different founders who their favourite authors are, what their favourite books are, probably as a comfort, as a way to go from one role to the next, as a little sail into the other. But 
I always find a lot of people love to talk about the books that they love. But yeah, so back to the journey of it. I was in that role for about two and a half years and then I was looking for something new, something a little bit more challenging for me, I think. I really enjoyed the work that I was doing. I think I'm a very ambitious person. I'm very, a little bit restless. I think I came across something in, while I was there, in one of the training courses where it was like boredom is almost more damaging than stress can be. So if you're someone that's not easily stressed, but if you're someone that's quite easily bored, it can be more damaging to your career trajectory or your sense of satisfaction at work if you feel boredom because it is a very real sense of restlessness and not feeling challenged and therefore not really feeling like you're living to a sort of potential that you want to, whether it's in the output that you're putting in, the people that you're meeting. You can feel quite out of control even with boredom because you you just have this feeling of you can't really rest and you can't really feel comfortable. So I was in that space for a little bit and then, I, I don't know, I had conversations with my mum on the phone. She was like, you're at the big publisher, you're doing really well, what's the problem? Just keep going with it. It has dips and lows. And then I think after maybe the 15th call, she's a bit like, what are you going to do about it? Maybe think about something else that you want to do. And I think the main reason I had such a back and forth was because I felt like I was 21 and... I'm from the north. I think when I first started, I was one of the only black people in the entire team. I think that we had 50 members of staff. This is when I first started. It looks really different now. And then also being a young woman in that space, publishing itself is most, I think it's 80% women until it gets to executive levels. But there was just different nuances where I felt like, wow, I'm in a space where there's not a lot of people that look like me or sound like me or come from same area like a region of the UK as me so you had that I had that little bit of a lucky to be here and then that kind of starts to filter out when you're a bit like okay but what is my actual value and what do I want what do I want out of this job or what do I want out of my kind of interactions with people where I'm from and what I sound like and what I look like aside this is what I feel like I can bring to something else so yeah I think I was having a, a bit of a back and forth in that space and then I was using a startup app that helps you look for different roles. I think it was called Otter, um, which is a really great app, yeah. actually. And it helps you just get connected with different startups in the ecosystem and see what job roles are available. Right. You can put in all sorts of different factors of salary range, the types of industry, the infrastructure, the type of business model that it has, the amount of employees, how many women work there, what the company values. So I was using that space a lot and that kind of prepared me for when I met Graham, I would say. It was like a space where I was really prepared for that moment of meeting a founder. It was him and one of our investors when he did then ask me to come in for an interview after we were speaking about content and the quality of content in different ways. I was obviously coming from an angle of the quality of writing and saying you can package a book this way and you can do this and do that, but the quality of writing is what makes it backlist or what makes it move people, etc., etc. And he was obviously talking about the quality of content for founders and when you've got a business and how important it is for visibility, for growth, for brand. And so we really connected on in that space. And then when he then called me for an interview, that was where I was like, so what's your exit strategy? What's the business model? What's this? What's that? Because nice. I had all of these questions <laughs> because I'd spent 
months back and forth on this app. When you're about to go for a new, or you want to go for a new role, but you spend about three months just looking, and you're like, oh, I'm looking, yeah. or I'm applying. Yeah. But all of that work, it does add in. All of that, it's all preparation for when I think you meet that right person or you go to into that interview room and you're ready. And so to the point where with Graham, we were sat down and he was like... Oh, I feel like you've just interviewed me. That was his response. So I love that. It was good. And I was really prepared for that space. And now it took about a month between then, between that and the interview, until I started at Dream Factory. And it's been about four months now, which feels like a lot longer. Amazing. And you... To me, when we first met a couple of months ago now, you were standout in terms of what you've done in your career. And you were... I love the fact when you, you talk about your age, being 21 when you moved to London, that's quite a brave move in itself. I know when I was mm. 19, back in 1999, so my age there now, I did a bit of a thing coming down from Newcastle and moving down to London. It takes... It's a lot of bravery and courage to do that, living away from, where, from home. But I guess you've really carved a career for yourself in terms of publishing amazing, doing what you've done, and you bring a lot of skills and a lot of life experience to your role now at Dream Factory. So it's great that we met and I'm really excited to see what you do next because I reckon you've... But you talk about not necessarily being an entrepreneur. I actually believe that you're an entrepreneur within an organisation such as Dream Factory because you are working a lot with entrepreneurs but also you're finding new ways to look at opportunities and building the business. It's entrepreneurship and I'm sure one day you might decide to do your own thing and I guess being in this environment with a lot of people who are entrepreneurs it's quite addictive yeah it definitely is I think that's one of the main things that drew me to it when we were having those conversations and one of the things that I love so much working at Dream Factory is the amount of different founders and entrepreneurs that you meet every single day or that you have conversations with and it's always for me publishing was that background because I love storytelling and yeah. English literature is what I studied at university and I still read so much now like I still love to read a lot and it will always be a love of mine it's like people's stories and how they came about it and then in the same way founder stories and how their business came about and the real importance which is the skill that came from publishing is that regardless of the content it's the way that it's shaped and the way that's narrated and structured, the way that you get across what your business is, for yeah. example, in this sense, and what your brand is and what the mission is of it is so important. And that's why, for me, the content of a business is just so key. It's almost like if you think of a business, the content is what you choose to wear. It's like how yeah. you choose to present yourself to the world, which goes two ways depending on who you are as a person it can be seen as oh it shouldn't matter what I'm wearing and but then that is a statement in itself so then a person that chooses to maybe go slightly more disheveled and not put that much effort into different areas of what they choose to wear that is still a way of saying who I am and it's really valid and it's important but it's a way of we're all trying to get across what we value and who we value and the things the places that we value through how we interact with the world of course and I think content is just such a key factor in that being able to not convince founders of that but have conversations with them and try and draw out the story of that and draw out why 
they created that business in the first place. Definitely a lot of fun for me. So Dream Factory, I love the space and I love the podcast and studio. And I guess for me, it was coming here and meeting you all and seeing what it's about. I love the vibe here. And so Graham obviously had a vision for the business and Mm. what he wanted to do. And tell us about what Dream Factory, how you guys are scaling. I know you've just recently got new premises. Tell us a bit about, for the listeners who are listening maybe in Australia and wanting to know a bit more about what you guys are doing, tell us about that. Yeah, so Dream Factory is growing so fast. It's been just over a year. So we opened officially last August and that was before my time here. And this space here, like it was just a room. From there, it's just gone from strength to strength and it's multi-purpose, this entire room, and it's for founders to use, create content for their businesses at an unlimited capacity for a 12-month time. So it's really a space that's trying to help startups help that startup ecosystem and alleviate the time, alleviate the pressure. But then in September, we opened up one of our newest studios. We've expanded across London. We've got another space in Shoreditch, and that is huge. It's 10 times the size. I love giving founders tours, showing in the space and then showing in the other one, just to see the difference in the two. Yeah. But yeah, we plan to really scale. We want to go and open offices in Brooklyn, in New York, come next year. And then hopefully maybe Australia, all over the world, really. I think seeing a dream factory in multiple locations is definitely on the roadmap. That's fantastic. I'm really excited for your Brooklyn offices <laughs> over there. I'll definitely be checking you out at some stage. And I think there's, it's got a real creative vibe to the space as well. And I, th- I guess that's what you're looking to create. I think so, because I think on the team there's so many creatives or have creative backgrounds. Like Benny, our creative director, has such a skill with like music direction and videos, and he's an artist himself. Sam, on our founder success team, also worked in fashion, like has a whole background in that space. So everyone does multiple things. Our head of content, is she's like an incredible artist. So there's a lot of us that always want to bring a little something extra to the interactions we have with founders and always are trying to create content that's just not really boring, basically. <laughs> like, it's just content that's engaging and whether it's funny or emotional, the point is that it roots back your company and it roots back to the message and the brand because we yeah. live in a space now with so many social media channels that anyone can create content that's immediately in a conversation you can put out different memes and you can create something that's really knee-jerky and that stuff is really important for building traction but yeah making sure that the content around that is really embedded into your company brand is what makes sure that when you do that more knee-jerk content people are waiting to hear what you say next you become a bit of an authority voice even in satire that's fantastic. So I have to ask, tell me, what's your favourite book? There's just absolutely no way I could ever have a favourite book. There's so many books that I love. Shall I tell you what one of mine yeah, is? Yeah, tell me one of yours. Man's Search for Meaning. 
I love that. It's I've, a bit dark, but it's it's about the Holocaust. But it's all about. I love stories that evoke emotion, and I like stories that there's life lessons to be learned mm. from. I guess human tragedy. It sounds a bit morbid, but that's a really good book. Yeah, and I love. There's so many, but uh, come on, you must have one. One book. It's more of a trilogy, but there's Chenya Achebe's Things Fall Apart, and that follows so much. But it's essentially Nigeria pre, during, and post colonization. But it's all wow. around the narrative of this one man and his family and this it just covers so much and I wrote my dissertation on that in part with one of my other favorite authors Amanda Adichie and she was actually one of the authors at Fourth Estate so then it drew me to that publishing space so it all comes quite full circle in that way but again I love that book but I could never say it's my favorite it's like multiple books floating in the air it's hard like... isn't it it's like saying what's your favorite film I guess it's it's, it's like looking at the stars I see the stars as like lots of different books. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Obviously, you worked in publishing for years in terms of, and got lots of depth and breadth of experience in that space. What would you recommend if someone was writing a book right now? And what would you recommend some tips for them? Do you mean in terms of writing a book for it to be published or just writing like the just beginning of the fact I love your questioning <laughs> because this is great because this is obviously why you were great at what you did. I think in terms of publishing a book. So, in terms of for publishing a book, I think the main thing is to make sure you've had a lot of pairs of eyes on it or, or a few trusted pairs of eyes who it's and it's not necessarily about people that know you well, but it's just someone yeah. that knows probably the genre that you're writing towards. Yeah, of course. So that they can give you some really objective feedback. And then having a really clear synopsis about what the book is about. And then either something like a query letter or an agent's letter, so that when you do send out your book to agents because not many publishers accept unsolicited submissions anymore all right you have few imprints if you do your research you can find a few that do accept they have like open submission piles which are still great and definitely still worth submitting to but agents are really they facilitate a lot they help they're there to help the authors a lot depending on which ones yeah they're there to also negotiate for you and they're there to shout about the book and they're there to handle the business side of yeah. what it is to write a book because yeah. so much of and so many authors start because they have a beautiful story to tell or they're incredible writers and then as soon as you go into that business aspect of obviously your book becomes a product becomes a three-month shelf life it becomes you really look at it in a different framework yeah the agent can also be that buffer for you and help you to do a lot of editing before it even gets to an editor so I think having a clear go and then just sending it and just not sitting on it for too long and just getting it out there because I think that's a big worry of oh is it ready for an agent yet and you might even work with the agent on it for a year before they even think it's ready to send out. Use your time well and just get things out and see what you think because also you could send it out and an agent could have loads of feedback for you and say, it's not quite ready yet. Yeah. But rather than spending another three months changing this and changing that, just get help where you can. Yeah. It's all, it always takes a village for most yeah. things. Do you see yourself in the future being an agent? In a literary agent? Yeah. Oh... I reckon you should do something with Dream Factory and, you know, that is your skill set. You bring think? that in. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's a potential new revenue stream for you guys. A separate imprint, all founder stories. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. I'd yeah. read that. 
<laughs> I'll make a note of that. Yeah. I'll see what Graham thinks. Yeah, you should. You should. You can have that one for free. <laughs> so what would you say is, for you, in terms of what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Oh, this is going to sound so cliche, but I don't think there is a bravest thing I've done. That's because the more things you do, the less each one feels like a brave thing so yeah. I think I would say originally that probably moving to London felt a little bit like a brave thing but then in my head now I'm like it's two hours away so I'm sure it's not <laughs> yeah, some people move completely across the country or some people move at 19 instead of 21 for a very kind of secure corporate job in this space so sure. there are different things but then also maybe you could say the bravest thing was giving up the idea of a corporate sense of security where I could look around and see exactly where my trajectory would be 20 years from now. Like, I could look and see, okay, that's exactly how things would be. And then choosing absolute instability of a startup and just going with Met Graham one random night with our investor from there, had a conversation and was like, all right, I'm going to accept this job and I'm going to go here and I have no idea about startups I have no idea about what does pre-seed mean this was me before knowing anything about this industry in any way and I'm still learning now I think it's still such a learning curve especially because Dream Factory is so multidisciplinary we are a startup and we're a content house and we work across essentially like marketing branding media in that way but because the founders we work with are we completely open to every single startup yeah it means you're across finance you need to understand what's happening in tech you need to understand what's happening in the fmcg space and all aspects climate what are people doing in ai what are the upcoming kind of companies that are emerging and so it's a real understanding of the whole startup ecosystem in each industry so that you can really deliver great content for those founders and know who their competitors are direct ones indirect ones so that I would say feels like a little bit of a brave thing but it just excited me the idea of completely learning one industry and then just completely unlearning it and then relearning another one and I guess your role as well is bringing a community of people together and finding those synergies as well. And because living in London, it can be quite isolating mm-hmm. unless you put yourself out there and get out there and start networking as well. I, I found that living in Australia for the last nine years and coming to London again, and you've got to put yourself out there. And you guys have a really big role to play in the ecosystem in the startup space in London. I think that's what I love. I do love community, love chatting to people. So <laughs> always being able to just have a conversation have a chat bring people together I think that's even what I loved in the publishing role that I had I loved a little bit the isolation and like being a bit of a recluse sometimes with you're just editing a book or you're just reading manuscripts but then I loved on the publishing side and being in that PA role the amount of people I was able to speak to at all times at different seniority levels and in completely different imprints or parts of the business and ways of being able to talk to anyone and anyone that you can think of And I think that's what I love about Dream Factory is because we work with our founders over 12 months, it's also about building on a community with them. So it's having events and supper clubs and members mixes and thinking of like really fun community things you can do just to give back and give founders a space to sit together or connect together, share like different struggles that they experience or challenges. But also like you could meet your next co-founder at some of these events or you could 
have a conversation with someone and have your next kind of idea for your next company or a book or a product that you want to do or a way that a launch could work or meet a founder that you can have a really great collaboration with. Yeah. So I think adding to that and bringing that together because the London ecosystem for startups is so huge and growing and thousands more every single week that being able to harvest that in a really healthy way and because there's also so many founders that are really young that are starting out in this space so being able to do a lot more to make it a way to make it less chaotic if it could ever be but something that feels at least that there's a sense in the chaos or there's somewhere to go to just have a breather I reckon you guys should do some kind of book book camp Mm. I think you could facilitate that I'm sure it would do very well you can have that one for free as well Getting all the ideas. That's it. it. So tell me, you're, you strike me as an incredibly optimistic person. And as we've been through, dare I say, this time in our lives where we've been stuck at home for a period of time. And But tell me about how you remain optimistic and have a growth mindset and look to the future. And I guess you're surrounded by some really cool, incredible people. And But the startup business it's it to be in a startup sometimes there are their ups and downs are you do you see yourself as the person who is the optimistic one and how do you top up your levels of optimism what is it you do to keep yourself feeling optimistic i think if you ask anyone that knows me they're just like i'm constantly doing activities tell me more <laughs> i'll do life drawing classes which i'm not good at drawing in any way but i have a friend who knows that I'll just say yes to most things yep. to push myself out of my comfort zone but also just to do something completely new. Yeah. I love to go to like supper clubs or go to dinners with friends. I really prioritize like I force myself to make sure my life is being lived the way that I want to live it right now. For me and I also think it's really unaware of the different privileges that I have in my own space. I just really choose to be optimistic as well. I think it can really be a choice. I could definitely choose to be a bit more moany and a bit more <laughs> and a bit more like sighing all the time and but you feel the effect that has on people around you when you're like oh yeah. I feel that and it has such a ripple effect and so if you choose to be that other way it also has the same ripple effect if you choose to be a bit more joyful and you choose to be cracking jokes or making up random things or just asking someone how they're doing and like sharing and outpouring in a healthier way, it can definitely help. I'm not always optimistic. And also, it's funny because I was saying that to Graham that, oh, I think I'm, I'm an optimist. And I think, no, I think you're more of a realist. And I think maybe in business, I'm a realist. And I like to keep my cards quite low and yeah. very much, unless it's been done, I'm not going to talk about it. Or yeah. execution first, and yeah, then yeah. we'll talk yeah. about it after. That's fair enough. But on a day to day, I do yell to bring a lot of optimism. My family's a very optimistic bunch. Mancunians are very friendly and yeah. happy in that way. I love way. Mancunians. <laughs> well, naturally, I'm a Geordie, so it comes with the territory. I yeah, guess. I love, love Geordie. Yeah. I think, and not also to say that don't have horrible days, but yeah. How would you deal, or could you share some tips with people who, how you would deal with setbacks and the fact that you don't give up and resilience? What would you say? Give some tips to the listeners who maybe are going through some stuff right now and how would you deal with it? I think one of the things I found, especially when I'm struggling, I always call my support, like having a really strong and solid support network is 
a really not spoken about thing and the yeah. privilege is that some people really do have that and some people don't have that at all and the impact that has it's really difficult and it's really hard to then advise. I do have a really strong support network who I can call, whether that's family or friends, and I think that has a big impact. And I think taking stock of who that is in your life and figuring yeah. out who is your support network means that it will be helpful in that way. Just trying to think, if I don't know what it is that I want to do and I'm in a really indecisive mindset and I'm really struggling and I'm like, I don't know why it's this or why it's that, it's probably that... The answer of what I should do hasn't come to me yet, but it's because I'm making too much noise in my own head. So it's just to really try and quiet things down, be really still, get out in nature if I can. Yeah. And usually take it from there, because I think anything that you are struggling, you definitely know how to handle it and how to figure it out. And you just might need the support of someone in your support network to help yeah. you with that too. That's really good advice. And some people might meditate. Mm. I've found meditating quite difficult sometimes to quiet my mind. But the way I would meditate is through meditative practice like swimming or going for a walk with my dog or run or whatever that looks like. But when you say you quiet your mind, do you meditate? Is that your thing? I do try to meditate and I struggle with that a yeah. lot. I don't know what it is. You know, there's people that just got it. Like, they can just meditate. I spend 30 minutes in the morning meditating. I'm like, really? Because I can try it and I start with breathing and maybe I'm six breaths in and I'm like... Thoughts are going all over yeah, the yeah. place. And that's the point, you're supposed to push through. But I think I'm more like you. I do a lot of meditative practices, like cooking is something that yeah, I, I love, love to do. Yeah. It's It just quiets your mind. The chopping, the it's all those tasks. Or I actually saw something where it said, the things like that, the things like doing your laundry and folding up clothes, the things that you technically hate to do, because they're these mindless tasks, it's where a lot of yeah. subconscious autobiographical planning happens. Right. So... Because you're doing something so simple, it's almost like all these knots in your brain start to unravel and smooth out and you're able to see the sense in certain things or see the different paths or answers to do certain things. And that, I think that's why you feel quite satisfied after a day of cleaning, even though you didn't want to do it in the first place. Yeah. You've actually given your mind a break from yeah. all the thinking because you just focus on... Yeah, Decent and that's that. it's that saying, we're human beings, not human doings. To sit and be, yeah. it can be quite difficult because we're constantly, and I was having a conversation with a friend in Australia this morning and we were talking about being in our heads, whereas just going within and being thinking from your heart and I think that's a really... I think it's a skill to get to that level, but you're right, the answers are within. Yeah. That's really interesting. So who would you say at the moment inspires you? Oh, so many people. I find so much inspiration by a lot of the people in my life. I would say my sister is always a massive source of inspiration for me. She's incredible. She's a yoga teacher. She has her own skincare business. She's She really holds space for a lot of women and just people in general in different ways and the things that she does. And she's a real connector. So I think if people see me as optimistic and bringing people together, it's and then they meet my sister, they're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's it's just the double of that, but even more. Also, my mum. Yeah. I just think I've got just a lot of strong northern women around yeah. me, and yeah. that just has a massive impact on how I carry myself and how inspired I get by the places um, that I go to and what I can take from them. The people that I work with inspire me as well. Everyone does different things and comes at what Dream Factory is and how we're trying to grow it and scale it and this huge kind of 
this huge mission to take this all the way, which is so exciting, but it's just so inspiring to see the different approaches that everyone on the team takes and to see Graham's approach to it and Benny and Alvin and Kyle and the team that I work with every single morning and around you get inspiring bits. So if you are a startup right now in London or in the future, in Brooklyn, in the US or wherever in the world, how would you recommend people get in touch with you guys and find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, I think get in touch over LinkedIn, send me mm-hmm. a message, get in touch with Sam as well. he's on a similar team as me and then we're always at events and look out for the events that we host as well. We'll be doing some parties yeah, and yeah, we've also got a Dream Factory on Instagram, so you can feel free to send a direct message there and check out our website as well because there's, yeah, lots of different ways. We're all over, really. Fantastic, yeah. and there's lots of regular events happening per month, so people can have a look at those. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic, brilliant. Thank you so much for today, and it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And I wish you all the success in the world with what you're doing with Dream Factory and scaling it. And I'm excited to come along to some of the parties. It sounds really <laughs> cool. Any other final remarks for anybody who might be feeling doing it tough right now or feeling that they need some extra support? Any other final thoughts? I think I would say maybe doing a few of those things that we just were talking about then, those meditative practices. What are the things that you usually do that bring you that joy or bring you a bit of quiet and start there? So always start small because I think when you're feeling overwhelmed, you think that you need another big thing to like wave back at it and it's just starting small and it breaks it down a little bit. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And looking forward to seeing you at your next event. Oh, thank you for having Thanks me. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Lovely to speak to you. Thank you.